Father, that is our prayer today. Father, that we would build our trust, our life upon your love. For you are a firm foundation that we will not be shaken. Father, you are worthy of everything. Anything we could ever sing, anything we could ever do, Father, you are worthy. Father, as we lift our hands before you, Father, as we lift our lives up to you, God, we ask that you would accept them as an offering. God, that you would accept us as your children. Father, we ask that you would be over our time today. Lord, speak to us. Speak to us in ways we have never heard you before. Father, may we be eternally changed by the love you are about to shower on us. God, we love you and we thank you. Church, can we sing that bridge one more time as a prayer, as a declaration that we trust in Jesus alone? for what you have in store for this morning. Jesus, thank you for your presence and how, how real it is to us in this space. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. all your beautiful faces oh Robin what is that what is that this is what she did um, <laughs> well good morning I good morning oh I promised myself when I became a pastor I'd never do that and I just did it man just boo me off stage now it's fine <laughs> You guys were way more apt to do that, okay? Um, that's a little messed up, okay? I say good morning, you're like, good morning. I say boom, and you're like, boo, get her off of here. So that's cool, that's cool. You know, it's fair, I embarrass you guys every once in a while, so turnabout is fair play. Um, I have my water bottle here this morning that I've introduced to you t many of you to. It has cat mermaids on it, which are two of some of my favorite things in the world and of another world, okay? I know mermaids aren't real, I think. Um, anyway, well, good morning. We are in week five of One Hit Wonders. Five. This is a longer one. 
Usually I like to keep them about three or four, but this one has been longer. And we have been talking about how to make lasting changes in our lives with Jesus so that we do not become a one-hit wonder. So since this is week five, I'm going to have to reach way back in my memory. The first week we talked about having more time. You guys remember that one? I do too. That's good. Um, The second one that we talked about was Love Offensively by yours truly, Pastor Valerie, and she flipped tables. That was cool. Um, I really liked that Sunday. Uh, After that, we talked about living like Jesus. And last week, does anybody remember our topic? Let it go. Let it go. Thank you. Um, And this week... Our very simple task is only two words, and that is this. Be what? Be joyful. That was about as loud as you booed me, so thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I was thinking about this topic and how to be joyful, and I love music. I love all sorts of music. Uh, When I put my phone on shuffle, I get nervous because there's just... Anything and everything could come up, and it's a little embarrassing, but I love all sorts of music. And I was thinking about Be Joyful, and I thought, there are certain songs in existence that are just, like, inherently joyful, aren't there? Um, I have a couple for you this morning, and I think Karen's got me uh, with this first one. And if you know the song, I don't know if all of you can dance, okay? But what I would ask is that if you know this song, you just hit me with one of these. Can we all do this? Oh, come on. One of these. I I see you, Jackie. Come on, man. All right. All right. So the first song, let me know if you know this one. Na 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 na. <laughs> Feel good. See, the man that gets it. Look at that. I feel good. It's instantly happy, right? Okay, I have the next one. Go ahead and get the next one, Karen. who you are when this song comes on you're a small town girl living in a lonely world this is a good song <laughs> all right next one karen one two three uh. my baby don't mess around because she loves me so and this i know for sure uh, there you go that's a happy song okay and i have one more for my younger crowd yeah all my parents are like i've Heard this song way too many times. I got this it does not elicit joy. Inside my bones, it goes in electric wavy when oh, I go. turn it on. <laughs> off of my city, <laughs> off of my home. Amanda's ready to lead his Zumba class already. But these songs are just inherently like they're joyful when they come on the radio. You just are starting to like feel good, right? There are also songs that do the opposite, right? Um, like that ASPCA commercial, Man Alive. That gets me every time. Um, I have another song that also elicits some sadness, so go ahead and hit that. 
<laughs> well, now they know. Let it go. Let it go. See, and nobody Can't raised their hands back, except for Josh, so. <laughs> song came out and I thought man let it go already you know it, it got so old it was everywhere and anywhere and it just every time it came on I, my soul just kind of sank right see there are th- songs in our lives that they are very joyful like maybe the song that you had at your wedding that was your first dance you know maybe it was a song from your childhood my dad used to sing to me uh, Van Morrison, Brown Eyed Girl, to me all the time. And that's a song that is just near and dear to my heart. But there are also songs that elicit sa- sadness. Now, similarly to songs is our lives. We have ups and we have downs. We have happy and we have sad. And, and scripture talks about something that is even bigger than happiness and sadness. In Nehemiah 8, verse 10, it says... This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let me ask you a question as we dive in today, and that is, do you truly have joy in your life? Do you have joy in your life? Because when I look at our culture, I can come up with a lot of words to describe what life feels like. Joy often isn't one of them. Joy is serious business to God, though. Uh, C.S. Lewis felt this way so much that he said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Meaning, to put it another way, God doesn't view joy as a game. He doesn't view it as a fun dance or a fleeting feeling. No, joy is important to him. So much so that he calls us to have it. Dallas Willard, this quote has wrecked my life. It says, it is the responsibility of every Christ-centered follower to carve out a satisfying life under the ruling God, rule of God or else sin will start to look good. It is our responsibility to have joy. Did you know that joy is a spiritual discipline? Because joy is our strength. And now, this is usually the time in my sermon where I try to build up some sort of need, or I try to convince you that you need this. But let's be honest, with joy, if you don't have it, you already know. And if you already know that you don't have it, you already crave it. You crave this joy. Now, Paul talks about joy in Philippians, and if you'd turn there with me this morning, Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 4. It says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live 
in Christ Jesus. In other translations, it says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. And the key piece of rejoice is that in any circumstances, he says, have joy. And this isn't a suggestion. This is a command. Now, I don't know about you, but it's a little strange for somebody to command me to be joyful. You know? If it, I'm a little stubborn, okay? I'll be honest with you. If anything, that's going to motivate me to do the opposite. Be joyful! Be joyful! I'm looking at you. Be joyful! John Ortberg, he said this. He said, the Bible puts joy in the non-optional category. Joy is a command. Joylessness, catch this, is a serious sin, one that religious people are particularly prone to indulge in. And it may be the sin most readily tolerated by the church. And isn't that true? We go through life, and, and this scripture, it ties joy and anxiety and worry very close together. We go through life and we worry and we get to church. And this is our safe space, right? This is where we can let our guards down and say how it's really going. But it lacks sometimes joy. This joy in the Lord. Um, I don't talk about this often, but about a year and a half ago, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety. And I have treatment for it. I have a doctor that I visit with. And uh, when my mom passed away, this came upon. And I started having panic attacks. Uh, I started not being able to sleep at night. My heart started racing unexpectedly while I was sitting on the couch watching television, <laughs> watching the most boring show imaginable, you know. Uh, I remember that I would start to fixate on things and worry about stuff so much that it would keep me awake at night. Now, anxiety is very prevalent in our, in our culture. And so there's two sides to anxiety. One, get treated, and that's okay. Uh, there is absolutely no shame in trusting the wisdom that God's blessed in your life and the doctors that have that wisdom. But the second thing is this, is that when we have anxiety without joy, we lose our focus, and our response is elevated. When I have anxiety in my life, but I don't experience the joy of the Lord, it goes from bad to worse. It goes from horrible to miserable. And I say this, that we have to viciously protect our joy. And I say viciously intentionally. Like, you should start, you know, okay? Viciously protect your joy. It takes tenacity and it takes resilience to take the lies that the enemy has, that this world has, to take the worries, to take the frustrations, to take the anxiety and say, my God does not answer to you. I want to read this scripture again. This is a promise of God. Look for the promise. It says, always be joy full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember that the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything 
tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This is a promise. This week I was um, experiencing some worry in my life, Uh, just some normal run-of-the-mill things that stress me out. And I was typing up this scripture and I thought, Lord, will you put your money where your mouth is? And so I took out a piece of paper, and this is what I did. I wrote one heading that said, what I need. Not what I want, what I need. And then I wrote down what I needed from the Lord. I then wrote down a second heading that said, what God has already done. And I wrote down what God had already done. And I thanked him for those things, and I left it with him. I will tell you, do it. It changed my week because this is a promise that he will guard your heart and mind from those things. We sometimes look at the scripture and it's nice to like knit on a pillow, (laughs) but it's actual truth that's applicable to your life that when we, we look at what we need and we bring it before God and we look at what he has done with a grateful heart, he says, I will guard you. I will guard you. But I think the hardest part about joy is that we get it confused with happiness. See, happiness is an emotion. Joy is a choice. Happiness is an emotion. Joy is a choice. Happiness means when I feel good, I am good. Joy says, No matter what I feel like, God is good, and I believe in him. Let me show you what what I mean. David wrote about this in Psalm, Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. This is a strange verse. You know, when you look at it, you say, well, you you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, church, what are our enemies in life? What are the things that we combat on a weekly, daily, hourly basis? We have strained relationships. We live in a fallen world, so we deal with temptation. Uh, The enemy is the ruler of this world. And he would love to build lies in your life to tell you that they're true. We go up against stress and thinking if we can provide and be secure and safe and happy. And in the midst of all of those enemies, let me show you what God does. You name it. Biggest, most terrifying thing that you're going through. And I want you to think about that. What is the heaviest thing that's on you right now? Can you name it for me? Can you shout it out? Stepchildren. Stepchildren. What else do we have? People. Amen to that. What else do we have? Bills. Money. Woofta. Health. Health. 
In the midst of your greatest battles, this is what joy looks like. God says, I know what you're facing. And I will set a table in the presence of your enemies. And there's something about a table setting that just makes things kind of fade away. That makes you feel secure. See, happiness is an emotion. Joy is a choice. And some of us, we need to learn and we need to allow God to set a table in our hearts. I have a a picture that I want to show you of what happiness looks like compared to this. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you. I think I've been doing McDonald's wrong for years. I don't know who gets apple slices at McDonald's, but whatever. Um, But that is what happiness looks like. It's about as much happiness as $4 can buy you. It comes with a like five cent toy that you're going to throw away within a week and probably some indigestion. (laughs) Joy is not. Joy says, I make a table for you. I sit with you. You tell me what you need and we reminisce on all the good things that I've already done. This is joy. Too often though, we don't choose joy. We choose the happiness. We choose the next thing that is going to make us happy. Uh, Elisa Morgan, she wrote this. Happiness comes from the root word hap, which means chance. Happiness is circumstantial. It has to do with life going the way that we want it to go and the feeling we experience when that happens. Happiness happens. Joy is a supernatural act of God in your life. And joy is a choice. It's not situational. It's not going to change tomorrow. It's still going to be sitting there. Joy is a choice. It's a blessing. And when, when Paul writes this scripture in Philippians, he says, rejoice always. While he is sitting in a prison cell, awaiting to, be, to find out what his sentence is, most likely death. You think Paul was happy? No. But I bet in that prison cell sat a table much like this. A table in his life that says, I choose joy, no matter what my circumstances look like. John Ortberg talks about this. He says, we all live with the illusion that joy will come someday when conditions change. Isn't that true? I'm going to be happy when, fill in the blank. We go to school and think we'll be happy when we graduate. We are single and we're convinced we will be happy when we get married. We get married and decide we'll be happy someday when we have children. We have children and we think we'll be happy when they grow up and leave. (laughs) Then they do that and we think we were happier when they were still home. This is God's day, the psalmist says. 
It is the day God has made, a day that Christ's death has redeemed. And if we are going to know joy, we must be in this day today. That means that I cannot uh, muddy up and linger in all of the regrets of yesterday or worry about the future without robbing God of the opportunity to bless me today. And that's the insanity of anxiety. Let me tell you what. It's that we have life, we have things that come up, we have things that we're looking forward to or things that we're not looking forward to. And instead of sitting at this table, we look past it looking for food. Instead of sitting in the joy of the Lord that redeemed this day for you and for me, instead of enjoying the next breath that he provides you, we look elsewhere. We look to tomorrow as if we could control it. We look to people around us as if we could control it without living in the moment and the opportunity that God's given you. Every single day we wake up to a new blessing and we have to keep focused on joy and not happiness. Now, I want to tell you a short story in scripture about a guy who got caught in this. He focused on happiness and left his eyes let his eyes linger off of joy. And that is the story of Samson. Now, Samson, some of you guys have heard of him, I'm sure, was the biggest, baddest guy in all of the Bible, right? He was mighty and strong. I think of, I don't know his name, but the guy that plays uh, Aquaman? Jason Momoa. That's what I imagine. He's strong. He's got that long hair. He's like a man's man, right? Okay. Judges 4. It says this. In those days, a man named Manoah, that sounds very, very similar, from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Now, much like Sarah and Abraham, uh, Manoah's wife, he's un she's unable to have kids. And the angel of the Lord appears to her and he says, listen, you're going to get pregnant. And we're going to dedicate this baby from birth as a Nazarite. Now, that doesn't mean much in our culture now. But to be dedicated as a Nazarite, you had to do three things. One, you could not drink any wine or alcoholic beverages, which as a baby would seem very easy, okay? Um, two, you could not be near any dead bodies, which I'm like, yeah, I don't really seek those out, so that makes sense. And lastly, you couldn't cut your hair. And so from an infant, this baby is not around alcohol, he's not around dead bodies, and his hair is left long. And look what happens next. It says, When her son was born, she named him Samson, and the Lord blessed him as he grew up. 
and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. It began to stir him, which is laughable because the Spirit of the Lord stirred in Samson in a way that God has never stirred in me. Um, it made him jacked, you know? He was like, buff! You know? And I wish, I wish some days that's how holiness worked, right? You know, holier I become, like the more buff I become, right? Uh, but, but this is what happens to Samson. The Lord stirs him, and he's like, ba-boom, ba-boom, muscle power, you know? Sorry, whoa. Um, <laughs> uh, but this is what happens to Samson. And when Samson has the Lord stir him, you better watch out. Uh, Samson has the Lord stir him in Judges 14, and he kills 30 men. Huh. Judges 15. The Lord stirs Samson, and he kills a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey. Weird choice, okay? But also impressive. Samson uh, gets stirred by the Lord later, and he takes down a lion with his bare hands. I can't even catch my cat every once in a while. Like, I don't even know what that would look like, but he takes down a lion with his bare hands, and the joy of the Lord and the strength of the Lord, it stirs him to strength. And everybody asks, what's his secret? You know, if I can pray my way to a buffer figure, what is it? And so this is what happens, Judges 16, verse 4. Sometime later, Samson fell in love. Go ahead and say that with me. Love with a woman named Delilah, who lived in the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overwhelmed and tied up so securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please let me... (laughs) Tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. Now, I am not married, so maybe this is a level of trust I have yet to experience. Um, but, But if your spouse comes up to you and says, tell me how to tie you up so well that you can't get away, I think I might ask, why? Okay, But he does not even bat an eye. This is what happens. Samson replies, If I were tied up with seven new bowstrings that have not yet been dried, I'd become as weak as anyone else. So the Philistine rulers brought Delilah seven new bowstrings, and she tied Samson up with them. She had hidden some men in one of the inner rooms of her house. Inner room translate closet. In one of the inner rooms of her house, and she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson snapped the bowstrings as a piece of string snaps when it is burned by fire. So the secret of his strength had not been discovered. Afterward, Delilah said to him, You've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now please tell me how you can be tied up securely. Okay, fool me once, you know. Shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. But this back and forth, it continues, doesn't it? And three times she asks him, Samson, how do I tie you up? And three times big guys jump out of the closet. And yet he does not get suspicious of her. And then Delilah brings out the big guns. Look at this. Then Delilah pouted. (laughs) 
How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. So she tormented him, and I don't know, husbands, maybe this sounds appropriate. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. And finally, Samson shared his secrets with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as anyone else. And he tells the secret, and she cuts his hair, and big guys jump out of the closet, and they drag him out into the city, and they gouge out his eyes. Now, what does this have to do with joy? Look at verse 20. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as, before, do as I did before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. Listen, this isn't about hair. This isn't even about big rippling muscles. This is about the strength of the Lord. This is about a broken connection with God. And what Samson did in this moment is that he chose to focus on happiness, to focus on making Delilah happy and forgetting the joy of the Lord, which is his strength. He focused on happiness so long that he forgets what it feels like to have the presence of the Lord upon him. And he'd say, how does somebody forget that, what it feels like to have God in their lives? We get there all the time, don't we? We focus on happiness. We focus on the next thing, and it nags us day in and day out. It's on commercials. It's on the radio. It's on the Internet. It's on social media. And we walk towards happiness, and we lose joy. Till one day we wake up and not even remember what it feels like. See, that's the hardest part about joy is that it's a choice. It's a choice that you and I, we make. And the world is Delilah. And it says, come closer to me. Find my happiness. And it never works. Listen, if you and I were designed to just be happy, happy meals would work. Right? More stuff would work. Bigger house would work. More money would work. But it doesn't. You and I, we were built for something greater. We were built for joy. Uh, I love this quote from Richard Foster. It says, Without joyous celebration to infuse the other disciplines, we will sooner or later abandon them. Joy produces energy. Joy makes us strong. This morning, I want to challenge you to, to look at your life and say, where do I need to choose joy? Where do I need to choose God's promises over the $4 happiness? Where do I need to pick and choose that I will be joyless, joyful in 
all circumstances, regardless of what I face. Church, would you stand with me as we pray together? Father God, I don't want to be like Samson. Lord, I'd hate for for my life to be built up, to be this beacon, to be this uh, wonderful redeeming power in this world, and for me to get distracted by happiness which is fleeting. Jesus, today we want to choose your joy. Lord, maybe we need to choose joy in face of adversity. Maybe there's a relationship that is broken. Maybe there is a family that's torn apart. Maybe our finances are a mess. Lord, but this morning we're going to prophesy your promise. We're going to declare it in this place and say that we choose joy. We choose your promise. You are a firm foundation, Jesus. Lord, I pray that your, your joy would become the choice that we make every day. That we wake up and we rejoice in who you are. Jesus, we love you. Amen.